Unions and frontline workers have been calling for staff-to-patient ratios throughout the Royal Commission, while the government and industry stand on the other side, saying that it's not really the way forward. Some see the idea as too expensive for an already struggling industry, while others believe it's too dangerous not to consider this as an option. Phil Usher from the Odyssey Health Group sees innovation rather than staff quotas as the solution to improving Australia's aged care system. And Phil joins me now to discuss this idea. Phil, thanks for joining us. Good morning. Phil, you fear that quotas um, could further complicate an already overcomplicated system. Could you explain uh, the thinking behind that? Yeah, I can, Connor. It's, it's, it's quite interesting when you look at it from afar. So, for example, most people think that problems can be resolved by mathematical equations. So, for example, um, might be, you know, for somebody who looks at a, a standard aged care facility, thinks, okay, well, the way to address the problem is to throw more people at it. But to me, that is not the answer. Um, and it's not the answer for a couple of reasons. First one is it can be hellishly expensive throwing more people at it. And if you sort of get this picture in your mind, for example, of perhaps having an aged care facility that's got a number of people that are quite well, yet are forced to have a whole pile of staff there that may be idle, um, it makes no sense. It, it becomes very expensive um, and somebody has to pay for that. So if the consumer's got to pay for that, um, it's not fair on the consumer. If the government's got to pay for that, it's not fair on the government. So I think that a better system is to be much, much more personalised and try and give the power to the people, if you like, which is more like the consumer-directed care or the home care system rather than the aged care funding instrument, the ACFI system, which is what we're talking about with the you know the standardised staffing. I think a much better system in the ACFI side of it is to be much more customised in what the care program uh, needs to be, the care schedule needs to be for the individual. So if you've got a pile of people that are quite well, you, you, you have less staff. If you have a pile of people that are not well, you have more staff. So it has to swell and it has to recede like the tide um, as the need is there. And the key behind that will be how do you fund it? So I don't really think the answer is mandatory staffing. It's, it's being more flexible. And where's the money going to come from? Um, just to stay on the, the the cost and the funding for for a minute, the ANMF funded um, a, a paper that was in conjunction with Flinders Uni, and that uh, looked at made a cost benefit analysis on some of the recommendations and and found that it would cost five point three billion or so to implement, but that any cost would eventually be offset through tax and other uh, features, and that savings would be made by avoiding staff attrition, um, and which they've found that costs the sector about five hundred million or so. Um, what do you say to those ideas? Yeah, again, I think interesting. Um, I think uh, to take a point that I am familiar with out of that comment or that commentary, um, staff attrition, I, I think it, it's a significant problem in our industry, whether you're in the home care side or the active side with uh, the revolving door of staff. And again, I always look at it from a resident's perspective and everybody that I speak to say that it's very frustrating, um, you know, getting to know somebody uh, to see that within two months' time they're gone and it's a new face that they have to, uh, you know, get familiar with. And, and it's quite impersonal um, when you get that revolving door side of it. And there are a few innovations that I'm aware of that, that can stem that. Um, but I think, again, it comes back to, yeah, it's great, you know, that taxes theoretically are going to solve this problem. But when I look at the coal face and when I look at the frontline people, which are our, our carers, um, just about every single one that I, I meet, beautiful people you know they wear their heart on their sleeve and they're and they're in this industry helping elderly people 
because they love them. Um, and it seems just wrong to me that they are so poorly paid for what they do. I think that um, your coalface people need to be paid uh, more, and whether that comes from people's taxes or whether that comes from, um, you know, the purse or the purse strings need to be loosened by the by the actual resident or the or the patient or, or whatever description a person is is uh, taken on by, um, where you've got to really look at after the people at the coalface because to me, it, again, it's not a financial equation. It's got to be all about the resident. And to make it all about the resident, you do need to make it all about the people around them being the right people and the system behind them being the right system. And yes, you know, taking some steps, and I agree with the study in terms of, you know, a solution for payment is effectively we all pay for it. But I think there are other options as well. Mm-hmm. If not ratios, what about minimums? What about the minimum levels of staffing we can have? We saw, you brought up ACFI, we saw recently uh, when the Royal Commission hit Tasmania, the casework they showed uh, from Tasmania, they were taking staff off the floor to spend all day looking at ACFI funding and how they could get more funding and they were also cutting staff. So what about uh, minimum staffing? Yeah, well, I think there's two problems there. Um, I think we're all aware that for uh, a standard, let's call it, aged care facility to, to make money. Primarily, they make it out of care. So um, there is perhaps too much time spent on working out how to optimise uh, payments so you can make a living and your business um, is uh, successful. Taking staff off the floor to do that, to, in my book, is uh, is just not on. Um, again, it's got to be all about the humanities side of it. It's got to be about the residents. Um, so I do think that there is potential for a minimum uh, floor attendance, if you like, by staff. So, for example, you know, in most places like what I do, um, you know, there's three rosters a day and I have a registered nurse on every three, sorry, across all three rosters and it's, it's, a, it's a fresh RN for each, um, you know, shift, if you like. So there's always somebody on there that's senior and there's always enough people to cover it and that's, you know, got a, a wellness manager over the top of that that watches it. So I'm possibly a little, a little bit overstaffed, um, but that sort of minimal staff presence, I think, is a good thing. Yes, um, but not to the point where it's mandatory that you've got, you know, x amount of people, irrespective of, of what the care levels are of, of the residents that need to be looked after. Um, that I think is going to end up in a financial heap. But having a, a minimum requirement where you know you've got good staff on 24-7 um, as a basis, yeah, I'm, I'm a supporter of that. As I mentioned, you favour innovation. Uh, what does this look like and, and how does this equate to better care for the consumers, for the residents? Yeah, look, I, I think that the um, the ACTI system um, is antiquated. I think it was, it was good, um, you know, 30, 40 years ago. Um, where, if you like, the care was with the uh, organisation and, and they dispensed that as they saw fit. I think that the consumer um, is not happy with that system. They're not happy with the outcome and they're not on the same page often as the, as the actual deliverer of the care. So, for example, um, if, you, if you're in, in a standard situation, you, as a, an operator, make more money out of the people that are uh, not well than you do out of the people that are well. So from a business point of view, it's, it's pretty hard to make ends meet um, if you've got lots of well people and the funding you get um, doesn't allow you to make a profit. So therefore, you, t- you tend to take people that aren't well. But from the consumer's point of view, they want to be well. They want people that wrap their arms around them, hug them, love them, 
and help them get back onto their feet and are as well as possible. So it's a little bit difficult to do that when, when it's not viable from a business point of view for all of your, your residents to get well, if you, if you read what I say. Whereas over on the other side, I really like the um, home care system. I really like the consumer-directed care model where it's the resident that owns um, the care package. And that means that from a, from a consumer's point of view, they retain the power. And I see that that, that side of the, of the funding system is going to get um, a lot more attention and I think it is going to get there's a lot of room for growth. It's a good system. It works really well. Um, but there's just not enough level. So, for example, um, it goes up to about level four now and there's other bits and pieces you can you can get as well. But if it went up to, let's say, a level five or a level six or a level seven and the consumer was still in charge of their package, it means that market forces come to play. So whether they're getting that care at home or like in my scenario where it's really a community of, of people with home care packages, it means that they're in charge. It means that they're in control. And that's one of the things that all the elderly say to me. I, I don't want my independence taken away from me. So if they own the package and can utilise that in a home environment or in a community environment like what I do, um, then it's power to the people. And then in addition to that, an innovation that I think is important, there are other ways for businesses to make money. And I'm not a fan of making money out of care because at times that can be a conflict of interest. So if my residents want to be really, really well and I don't make my money or people in our industry don't make their money so much out of the care side of it, um, then everybody's on the same page because the staff are working hard doing things the way they want to because their heart is on their sleeve. They want people to be well. The resident wants to be well. So if you take your profit away from making it out of care, then your, your team, your business, and your, your residents are all aligned. So that's a big move. Um, and there are a few of us in the industry in Australia doing it. And it seems to be working quite well. So I know I'm talking a lot, but if you go ahead in, in five or 10 years' time and all the boomers are there, believe me, they will not be told, take what you're given. They will be making choices and they will be saying, no, 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 no. I want things on my terms. So I think innovation will be forced because of the nature of the boomers coming through. There's some food for thought there. Phil, I thank you very much for joining us. A pleasure, Connor. Thanks very much for touching base with me. I hope you enjoyed you know, my perspective on the world.